The Akuma 2019 Summer Showcase is July 24th and 25th, and Jim and Jason are going to be there on July 24th. Yeah, at about 11.30 a.m., we're going to be doing a live podcast recording right there in their headquarters in Charlotte, North Carolina. But be even better than hearing you talk, Jim, what else are they going to have there? Well, it's great. It's, it's like a mini IMTS. There's going to be a tech bar. They're going to talk about their Think Developers group. With This, this is a team of people that help you solve your manufacturing problems when you buy an Okuma. There's going to be many, many partners there like Mastercam and Shunk. It sounds like a fantastic thing. I know I'm looking forward to being there that day and just equipping and inspiring me and bringing that back to my own shop. So go to your Google, search Okuma Summer Showcase 2019 and register for free. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host for almost 200 episodes, I know, Jim Carr. Hey, wow. Jim. It's a lot of episodes. Yeah. You caught me off guard with that metric there. Almost 200. Yeah. Who knew? But yeah, it's good to be here. It's the day before 4th of July, and we are rocking and rolling at, at MXD. MXD. And Wait, I just heard a machine screeching about yeah, five minutes I hope, ago. I hope no one took a two-inch shell mill and put it into the table, because I've been there before, and I've done that, and I know it doesn't feel good, especially when you're the owner's son, and you do that, and all the other guys in the, the shop are looking, yeah, look at the kid just ripped it right into the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I hope that's not what happened, but it's all about living and learning yep, and you gotta changing. Learn. You got to learn. You got to change. So, changing. So, Jim, we've done almost 200 episodes of making chips, and I've tried to make changes over the years, but you always push back because, you know, you like things to stay the way that they are. Actually, I'm not, oh, here at making chips yes. or at, at our respective no, manufacturing at, No, companies. here at making chips. Yeah. You, know, I'm a, you, you find yourself reluctant to change sometimes? Yeah. Is, is well, it hard for I you? I think that's part of being a middle-aged person. We are a little reluctant to change. And it's harder to do that. And we have a guest on today that we're going to be talking just about that, about how changes is hard because people in manufacturing always say, we've always done it that way. Yeah, I mean, that's the general mantra that we want to change. We've always done it that way. It's one of the things that I can't stand hearing. And, And I don't mean like, you know, we need to change just to change, but... I don't ever want to hear we've always done it that way, and that's the reason why we're going to be doing it. So I think we're going to explore this as a topic series for several episodes because there's a lot that can be talked about, different ways that manufacturing leaders can think differently about their manufacturing and really get away from that, break that glass of we've always done it this way. So I don't hear we've always done it that way anymore. I hear it more like, well, why do we have to change? Why do I have to run the end mill at 100 inches a minute when I feel much more comfortable running it at three inches a minute? Well, dude, we're not making money. I'm quoting against other shops that are running end mills and feed rates at 100 inches a minute. And if you're at three inches a minute and you're just going along like that, 
we're not going to be competitive. Well, the bottom line is that the pace of business is changing far faster than anybody would have realized it. And and it's due to so many different factors. I mean, you know, computer technology is probably the impetus for most of the change, but you have to change with it. You have to. Right. And you know, manufacturers are notoriously suspect to change, right? They yeah, just, they just don't want to. I think out of all the industries out there, that manufacturing is the one that you find people, they're the laggers. They're always lagging behind. Well, because it's all about quality and on-time delivery. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes when you're so focused on that, you don't change for the sake of, you know, you just don't want to change. Yeah. So we're going to talk about it. So but we are, before we even get there, um, what is keeping you awake at night right now? <laughs> well, it's, Kind of funny that you mentioned that because last night it was 1 a.m. and I woke up next to my wife and I'm like, oh my God. But then I went downstairs, laid on the couch, and I immediately went to, we had just shipped some parts to California and I wanted to make sure that they were actually going to get there. And I tracked it to make sure that it was on its way, that I wanted to see the progression from Chicago O'Hare to Louisville, Kentucky to Denver, Colorado, to LAX, or whatever that the, what it was. You but, couldn't find anything more exciting to do at one in the morning well, besides you know, track it, a UPS package? It gets package. my mind off of the fact that I can't sleep, and it makes me more tired. I know you don't think so, and I know the general public says you shouldn't be looking at a blue screen in the middle of the night because it keeps you awake. But to me, if I even scroll through my Instagram or look at my calendar invites or check out a couple emails or track a package. It makes you feel calmer. It, it takes my mind off of the problem and makes me rest. Well, do you easier. know why that is though? Why? I can explain to you why that is. It's because you have preempted your mind right before you went to bed on some kind of business subject. And so that's what your mind's thinking about in the middle of the night. And so then you need to go back to it in order to settle your mind again. And if you would have done something more recreational before you went to bed. Oh, I was doing something recreational. Well, I'm just saying yeah. like instead of work stuff or watching a screen, if you would have read a novel or, you know, but that's something not my like brand. that. Why would I want to do something that you got to help just, me I'm here. just letting you know why. You're, you're asking all. me to change. You don't have change. to do it. You're asking me to I know, change. I know. I know. Why, I know. And why am I going to change? No. You got to give me something really good to do. You've uh, always done it that way. Yeah. Read a book. I'm telling you. Just, okay. But that's the reason why your mind was going in that direction. In Is the this pr- night. a proven thing? Can you send me a link to something that no. I can read? No, just believe me. Okay. You can ask me what what's keeping me. what is keeping you awake at night. What time did you wake up last night? Or do the babies start crying in the middle of the night? The baby has been crying in the middle of the night. Yeah. Ever since my wife and I went to Mexico, Deacon has just, he he just needs his mom all the time because yeah. he was away from her for five days. Do you let the kids sleep with you in bed? No. Oh, gosh, no. Okay. So what's keeping me awake at night, honestly, is the situation in Illinois. I mean, the, oh, the I know. property taxes and everything. Uh, we got, I was just going to ask you we, about that. We got, I read this. We I got, got a know. bill from the Cook County on our property taxes and they want to increase it by 138%. And I don't mean... They they want to increase it by 38%. They want to double it and then some. <laughs> so, I, I read everybody in Cook County got their tax bill yesterday. Right. And we're really going off subject here, but this is a, big, a deal. big deal. This is a big deal. So I have a business and in Indiana North, too. It said North Chicago. And I it said the suburbs were pretty much exempt from it. Mine was pretty static. I really haven't looked. I don't think mine went up at all. But it said it particularly North Chicago. And I said, do I even bring this up to Jason when I see him today? I mean, we're seeing new bit in it from our Indiana location. We're seeing new businesses come up there all the time. And re- so many resources are coming to Indiana from Illinois. Because but this is your residential property. This no, is I'm, I'm referring to the business. 
I'm referring to the business property taxes. Oh, really? Yeah. At Zangers? Yes. No kidding. Yes. My Elk Grove Village property is not up at all. Well, seriously. I'm not the only one. We're fighting it, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's right. definitely concerning. And then, so how did you mitigate that? We're fighting it. Okay. We have a lawyer who helps us fight it. So why don't we get over to the manufacturing news? Um, you got some good news? Yeah, this is a... It's not bad news, is it? No, it's I don't, not. I don't want any bad news. So to be quite honest with you, the, most of the manufacturing news out there right now is bad news about it being slow, but we're not going to talk about that. I disagree with that, though. I just want to well, tell you that no, I you, know you you pitched a couple articles no, no, to no, me no, about it's how not, it's going it's bad. It's not a matter of disagreeing. I mean, every every business is going to do things differently. Right. But in general, the manufacturing industry is, is softening up. I mean, it's statistics. Well, we're not going go 150 that. miles an hour anymore. We're just going 100. That's okay. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, we it is. We can't go 150 miles an hour all the time. So right. anyway, we're not talking about this right now. We're talking about a new report that came out from a company called Oxford Economics, and it's about how robots will take 20 million manufacturing jobs by 2030. And, you know, I think from that title, it might sound kind of ominous, but I actually see that as a really good thing, not only because we're in the cobots market, but we need that because there's not enough people to do the manufacturing jobs. So we need that. But there was some interesting numbers that came out of this. I'm going to, I'm just going to read this. Can I take part notes of the article? On sure. Go ahead. Okay. Because but, in 2030, I'm going to come back to you and say it never happened. Okay. If you're yeah. alive, I, I probably won't be, but that's okay. Yeah. So I'm not worried about yeah. it because you won't be around. No. Okay. By 2030, robots will displace 20 million manufacturing jobs worldwide. The 20 million number, which represents 8.5% of the global manufacturing work- workforce, comes out of a new report from economic forecast company Oxford Economics. It also found that on average, and this is the part that I found interesting, Jim, every newly installed robot displaces 1.6 manufacturing workers. So the hu- that takes the human element out of it. Yeah, but only 1.6. Yeah, it's not that Isn't much. That, yeah, but I mean, we still need, there's a lot of baby boomers and everything that are moving out of the manufacturing workforce, and we, we need to replace them with robots. But I thought that number would have been higher. I thought it would have been over two, but it's only 1.6. Mm, yeah, well, I think that as the robotic technology becomes more robust, and the technology and this, the integration, I think that it could potentially, that could go from 1.6 to two. People. Yeah, it probably You know could. what I mean? Yeah. Who knows could. what's going to be... Well, 2030 is only 10 years away. It's really not that far away, but... So there was another interesting quote that I want to read from this report, and it says, the repercussions of robotization... I know, that's a tough word. Robotization... Okay. ...are interconnected and complex. Yes, they are. But the growth in robotics is inevitable. The OE report says these challenges must be embraced and addressed. And I think that that's true. I mean, like when we talk about robotics here on um, making chips, I mean, we don't try to say that we're experts. It is very complex, but it's also inevitable. So we need to talk about it. So oh, and you know what the bottom line to this whole thing is? Jim? What is the bottom line? I'm going to eventually replace you with a robot. Okay, good. Show. I hope he has the charisma. Oh, he will be way more all, charismatic than you. Th- you think so? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. I wonder, will he have the wisdom? Yeah, I'll program okay. that into him. Okay, good. Yeah. Thank you. So why don't we introduce our guest and get to the heart of the episode here? Yeah, well, before we go there, okay. we want to tell all of the metalworking nation that if they'd like to subscribe to The Boring Bar, which is our weekly newsletter that introduces the show of the week, and we've curated some really good articles there to read, if you want to read, it's all industry relevant, and all you need to do is text Jason. Text 38470, and you're going to text CHIPS. To 38470. Right. I've done that already. It's super cool. It's super quick. You don't have to go online. Just pick up your device, text 38470, 
and you will be immediately subscribed to the show and get the weekly boring bar and have all the news. Great. So go ahead, introduce our great guest. So I'm going to introduce our guest. Our guest is Drura Parrish, and he is the president of Zometry Supplies. He is a not a newbie to manufacturing. He actually grew up in the manufacturing industry. His grandfather started a manufacturing business in Kentucky. He did. And Drura has a degree in psychology and architecture, but I like to think the just the manufacturing industry always draws you back. And even though he had that, that psychology degree and that architecture degree, he came back to manufacturing because it's in his blood. So welcome to the show, Jura. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Jura, welcome. Well, Good to see you again, man. Gr- this, is, this isn't the first time we've met. No, this yeah. is like a, just a reunion. It yes. is. Yeah, yeah we were like on that. a six-hour-long panel discussion together. I think it was 10. Uh, yeah, about <laughs> it 10 hours like long. 10. It, was, yeah. it, was, it was a marathon panel. Yes. Yeah, it was. And Jim and I were hosting it, and you were talking, and it was interesting. So tell us about your, your manufacturing story. Let's yeah, start that's there. great. For sure. The, so the show's four hours, correct? Yes, yes correct. Keep going. Okay, yep. so fantastic. We'll cut you off. Yeah, they, you, you Let give me get a hook. Give a Southern man a microphone and just hang on, right? Then all of a sudden, people start coming in here, and we have a pulpit. <laughs> so this story begins many, many, many years ago. How many? <laughs> like Decades. Less than you, Jim. Yeah. Okay. Decades. Yeah, 65. Okay. No, I'm That's kidding. All, that no, is it's just 40, 42 now. Okay. In a Western Kentucky hamlet called Henderson. Okay. And so Henderson's well known for, for three things, which are depression, sadness, and just, just abject darkness. And from that cesspool... One visionary rose up, and that was my grandfather, whose name was Drua as well, who who pulled himself. Oh, really? His yeah. first name was Drua too? Yeah, it's really, we can have another show okay. just to talk about where the name came from. Okay. It's an argument if it's just a phonetic drunken slur or if it actually means something. <laughs> but <laughs> what's important for us to know here, this person had an idea. And his idea was like, anything would be better than where he was. Right. And so, like, think about this as like pre Korean War, just like right after World War II, like things were starting to happen. The economy was ticking up. Things made out of steel meant something. Mm -hmm. So it turns out he was really strong and he had will. And his brother was an army engineer. So he he had the, the wherewithal to do things. So without going into too much detail, they decided to start a manufacturing business after attending the fields for many years. And so they started a business which drove up to large OEMs along the Ohio River Valley offering overflow capacity production. Sounds familiar to me. Sounds pretty familiar. Yeah. Right? So they go up to like a company that begins with a W that makes home appliances, be like, hey, it looks like you're making so many of these parts, you need an extra machine. There happens to be an email on the back of my truck. Fast forward many, many years, there's a young Jura, the protege, the scion. Jura the third. Jura the... Jura 3.0. Jura 1.5. <laughs> and there's a scion and his grandfather standing in the shop that he so proudly built, at this point, one of seven, in Western Kentucky, wanted to show me the, the wave of machines, all the beautiful things that these machines made. And I asked him one question. I asked him, what's that sound? And so you're probably thinking, he's probably like, oh, that's the sound of the blah, 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 humming it, blah, blah, RPMs, cutting this. His response was, those are the lights. The fluorescent lights in the ceiling. In the ceiling. And so fast forward, like however many years from then, that image, those lights, that sound, dictated my complete thinking about manufacturing. And I asked him, I was like, why am I hearing that? He goes, well, we have these machines to be available to make the things of the world. We have them at the ready because this is the way we've always done things. And so I was thinking, but why do we have so many? So here's a paradox, though. So many machine tools that weren't running. So many spindles that weren't on making chips. Yes. Okay. It was just lights. So opportunity, the hope for opportunity, is the way that they always did things. It was hope more than making. 
Mm. Which I think is a, a yeah. Problem. That's an old school mentality. Super old. My school. dad used to think that that way too. We used to go to into a recession. He'd say, "Jim, don't worry." The business will come. Always. I, he would say that all the time. I can hear him say it. Or you buy a machine and just hope that you, know, you, just you hope, can fill it just, up with work. Just yeah. hope the phone's going to ring. Someone's going to pick up the yellow pages and see us in the yellow pages. Or, or better yet, we're not going to take that $4,000 job because we're going to get the big job in a couple of months. And we got to keep the machines open. This what, is a story. Yes, exactly. Have you ever read the book Hillbilly Elegy? I don't have to read it. I lived it. <laughs> I was just going to say that you, you have read it, obviously. Is that a real book? Yes. It is a real book. It's it actually a, it's a fantastic book. It's, okay. really, it's really good, but it just kind of talks about that Kentucky, Ohio experience, and it's a good book. I know hmm. you'll never read it, but you should. I might. I you might. Can, I, can I tell one more story? Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Good stories are good. So the paradox is, at the same time, in front of this wave of machines, I was set up with this conundrum of just wondering what the light sounds were, which I'm realizing that phrase makes me sound like I never went to school to begin with, which is okay. But anyway, so I went to college because my, my grandfather really wanted me to get out, to get an outside objective opinion of the world. I came back because I couldn't find a job with my, my DePaul psychology degree, which my grandfather believed was only useful to predict the future. And so the first job he gave me back at the, the tool side of our business, he's like, I want you to dig a one mile trench, six inches wide, six inches deep. And I was like, great, I'm all for it. Next day I showed up at 4.30, they had a spade waiting for me. A yeah, a square, a square for dirt, which doesn't make any sense. No survey tools, no nothing, no real trajectory where to dig this thing. And for six months I dug and I dug and I dug. And then there with the, the sun in the background, setting Kentucky Hills, all the beauty, all the bounty, all the glory. Here comes my grandfather, and his brother that I talked about, the army engineer, on a little scooter, they came up to me and they're like, little Jura, which I wasn't little at that time. He's like, did you learn anything? And I said, yeah, hard work and perseverance. You can do anything. And they said, you're a total idiot. <laughs> you always need to ask why you're doing what you're doing before you set out to do it. You just wasted money, time, and resources digging a trench that nobody needs or wants. So fill it up. Oh, so then they made you go back and fill it up. Yes. Was it really one mile long? Or no, did you, it was you, probably you, like 500 feet. Okay, I was going to say, a mile's a long way, man, <laughs> right. with a spade to square. So are, are you going to do that same thing? Do you have kids? Yeah. Okay, are you going to do that same thing to your kids? When, when the first one turned a year and a half, I set her out on the same <laughs> mission. I, I took, her, took her out in the field. So you probably don't understand Give her one of those me. red plastic shovels and just said, start digging. That's right. That's right. <laughs> But anyway, those two things set up like a, the, the path, right? It's just like, why are we doing all the same stuff that we've always done? But why are you also giving me the insight yeah. to ask the question of why? Well, you know, it, it always does come down to the people. The people are the center of the, we've always done it this way. So what do you see people doing the same way that we can break? Like, what can we do differently? Mm -hmm. I think front of house. Right, it's just oh, like, leadership. Yeah, the leader has to push down the way his vision, the way he wants to see his company. Are you like Jura answer this question? No, I'm not. Gonna... <laughs> I I could answer that question. I know it's Jura's interview, but we're dovetailing in the same way. One hundred percent. It's leadership. It's leadership. Always leadership. One thing that is pretty ironic on the shop floor in a manufacturing business, your leader is usually your best machinist or was the best machinist, the best engineer, or was the best engineer, the best financial resource, like, or, or the sole financial resource, the best person to understand the numbers, they won't relinquish 
all of it. Oh, right? because that's guarded. It's guarded. Yeah. 21st century, you have experts all around you. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a, there's a huge opportunity and a problem in the problem to solve with leadership is like, what are the 21st century manufacturing leaders good at? It's okay to be a leader. People need leaders now more than anything. They don't need expert leaders. Yeah, your leader doesn't necessarily need to be an expert in manufacturing. That's right. You know, I think your leader just needs to, he needs to lead the people. He needs to ask questions. Why are we doing it that way? And even asking it out of ignorance isn't a bad thing. Jim and I talk to manufacturing leaders from across the country, and I, I know just thing at top of mind, like one manufacturing leader who does not have that shop floor experience, but he has the wherewithal to ask questions yes. and the people in the shop, they answer his questions and they start thinking about, well, yeah, why am I doing it that way? And his questions are kind of coming from ignorance to a certain degree, but I don't think you have to say, okay, well, we need to hire a person for this position and they need to come from manufacturing. Well, mm-hmm. Maybe they could be somebody that has operational experience in retail or service or just whatever other types of industry that could bring a different perspective to the manufacturing industry. That's right. Like, so you think about my family business as an example, like the, the patriarch was grandpa, grandpa and his brother were fantastic at process planning and machining, but you mean mean good mechanical aptitude and a lot of drive. They should have been on the floor. Right. Yes, I agree with you, But they, they spent more time hunting and fishing to find opportunities than they were giving like their best resource on the floor. Mm-hmm. And so like you think about, okay, what are the, the roles of the 21st century shop? What are the roles of the 21st century shop? So you got to make things and ship things and provide fantastic customer service. Agree. It's not really rocket science. I mean, what we do as machinists is rocket science in many ways. But think about this, like 21st century examples of just great business, Amazon, relentless pursuit of customer service. Oh my God, there. But think about the tone of leadership here in that scenario. How many shops in the United States would you say, like percentage-wise, are not griping about their customer? The what? people on the floor. Oh, everyone's griping about their That's customer. Right. Everyone is. So as a leader, back to where this is, yes. it's the responsibility to instill this 21st century ethic of that the customer is always right. 100%. We always say customer first. That's right. Yeah. Customer first. And then everything else is secondary. And to enable that workforce, right. the freedom to breathe, surrounding like you as a leader with able-bodied people and administration to give them the freedom to breathe. So better planning. One thing that we need better, like in a 21st century shop, to better machine is better planning. Right. I could better, not agree with you better more. Better use of software, better allocation of resources to software to help plan. I talked training. about training. Training. 100% training. Training. Believing in our people. Training our people to use 21st century tools, but at the same time, like we discussed a little bit earlier, not entrenching our people in dogma of bad salespeople forcing bad software down our throats. Can you embellish a little bit about what you mean by that? One of my, my, my big problems is, is that just like the 90s. You remember the 90s with technology? I do. You were the Palm Pilot camp. You had a BlackBerry. You had I no, did not have a BlackBerry. I had a BlackBerry. Yeah. So he you was right about that. Of course he did. I could just see him using it too. But my point was is that or is is that people were selling technology from every different angle just like throwing a net out hoping to catch somebody. We're there right now with manufacturers. Right. And there are salespeople in this world that are hoping that we're not educated that we'll just take the first person to visit us because we We've been trained to accept the salesman on the milk run, right? The people going around shops and say, I've got the greatest bells and whistles, or you can pay X number of dollars to go out to IMTS and find the next greatest thing, right? Right. But my point is, is that 
we don't take time to educate ourselves truly on what we need on the manufacturing floor for planning. So the same way that we apprenticed machinists, we need to apprentice them in understanding the technologies around machining now. We talked about robotics in the intro. We so did. there's a whole palette of technology. And process. And process that might start moving people off the machines a little bit. But guess where they can start to go? There's going to be an increased need for engineers, planners. Customer as, service. Customer service. As the world starts to create more things in smaller batches, increased frequency. And the person in Indiana who ordered the first like one widget off of Kickstarter needs it tomorrow. And you have to cycle an entire manufacturing facility just to get out. My point is, is that we aren't taking the education of our shop floor people seriously enough and all other aspects of manufacturing and machine in, in application. I agree with everything that you said, but one of the things that I struggle with, and I know like a lot of other manufacturing leaders struggle with, especially right now with how busy we've been, is that there just never seems to be time mm. to take a step back yeah. and educate your people. And I know that that's a terrible, terrible excuse, but I, I feel like I know I'm guilty of it. And I'm sure every single shop out there, unless they're lying, like they're guilty of not carving out that time to train their people. I think you just have to commit to it. You have to commit to it. I much agree. Like, you have to put it on much the calendar. Like if, you, if you start using the EOS system and traction, you have to commit. One of the integrators that you and I know said to me, Jim, you have to keep doing it. Don't get swayed by, oh, things are really shiny now. Things are going along pretty good. Oh, we're not going to have our L10 meeting this week. But you you have to keep pushing. You have to keep, you have to keep training. You have to keep thinking, what am I going to give the guy on the shop floor? How am I going to up-train him in the next quarter? Absolutely. What little piece of technology are we going to have him start utilizing? Yeah. You know? Uh Absolutely. It goes to the point. I just think that we don't take technology serious. Right. And the irony is, is the technology that machinists use is printer software from like 50 years ago. <laughs> but the whole world has grown up around it. Right. Jim, I got some more acronyms for okay, you. Okay. Give it Q to me, man. And some numbers, too. Can you uh, handle it? No, I can't. <laughs> QMSAS9100ISO9001. Do you know what that means? I do know what that means, as a matter of fact. It's two processes, QMS process, quality management system processes, AS9100 and ISO9001. And how does that work with your new ERP system? Well, what it is, Jason, we were talking earlier about the paperless system. All of the documentation that we use in AS9100 and ISO9001 is totally integrated. So no more binders? No more binders, no more signing papers. Everything's integrated into ProShop ERP, and it makes our life so much more easier and so much more efficient. So go to ProShopERP.com for more information. In regards to doing things differently... How much of our time should we be spending taking our people off the shop floor and training them, be it training them in tooling technology to training them on software to training them in business practices? How much? CAD I mean, CAM, it, it, CAD CAM, all service, that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah customer ERP service. Systems, I mean, is it 80%? Can you take your guys off the shop floor well, 20% of the time? You know, that's a tough question. I, I don't know. It's going to be different for every, every of course shop. It is. A big shop has a lot more resources to invest in training. Maybe, maybe, than a small shop like mine, but I certainly make it something that 
I really feel is extremely important to keep them, A, trained, moving up the totem pole, and B, I think it's really important to keep them engaged in their job and their career because you know, as well as I know, that when you learn something new and you start using it over and over again, you feel like, man, I'm, I'm pretty smart. I, I gain this knowledge and you feel good about yourself once you, once you start using mm-hmm. it. But to answer your question, how much? I, I don't know, maybe 10% of their work week, if they're working 45, 50 hours a week, four and a half, five hours a week, five hours a week, mm-hmm. and that might be a little heavy, but everything's in percentages, right? You just got to figure out what you're comfortable with and give it back. So it is funny. I can talk about it a lot, but when you come down to how do you plan for it, I think the best way to answer is like, think about what and how you want to structure your business. So for example... I'll ask you this question. We'll flip it a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. How much of your time do you spend shopping for business versus... Me personally? Yeah. Or my sales manager? Or your sales... Let's just say, what's the division of the business in hours, do you think, in terms of looking for business and fulfilling business? Well, I have a full-time salesman that is probably spending 85% of his time doing research and development on industries that we want to target. And then once he's identified those industries that we want to target, he spends a significant amount of time targeting and trying to touch. You got engineers that are probably pre-planning once he brings things to the table. That's when I get involved and Ryan, my operations manager, we we look at the prints together as a team and decide, is it something that we really can do profitably? Is that the direction we want to take the company? A, can we do it? And can we do it efficiently and profitably? And B, is that the type of industry or does the customer believe in us and is going to value our three uniques, which is our people, our communication, and our technology? Mm-hmm. What would you say that your, your throw distance is? Like how, how long range can you look? right now. Like as far how, as vision? How far down the road can you look, yeah, in terms of setting the path? For what type of industries you think, what types of customers you have well, to Well, we've go got ahead. a written 10-year, three-year, and one-year plan. The one-year plan is pretty, I can see it. We have the metrics, we have the numbers, we can, we can see where it's going to go. So where I get in all this, I think you're a unique instance in the machining world. It's the DNA is in your business right. to actually accept that and build it in as part of the process. So training, like your business it wouldn't exist without continuing education, training, at least in industry or on the floor. Right. So to, to get back to where you are or where the question is, you got to start with 1% for the 99% right. of the shops. Yeah. Yes. Because they're all great machinists now looking to pay off the one machine that they put in their garage. Mm-hmm. At the 20,000 plus machine shops in the United States. Is that, what, is that how many there yeah. are? According to like IBIS world, like if, okay. you, if you agree with what they're saying, and it's in decline. Good. People go from big shops, they're a cat machinist, then they go and they start like a sub of cat, and then they start their little garage business, but they don't have time to educate themselves. Back to the question of like, how are we going to change the mindset? And, you know, we've all, always done it this way. It's just a theme. I think there's a policy issue too. If, if the United States is going to be competitive... There has to be some infrastructural thinking and training and easement, right, to allow this to thrive. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the answer to that is. But so, you know, like as a challenge, how do we allow 1% of 20,000 firms, like one to five person firms, the chance to like leapfrog technologically, compete with the world, 
right? Oh, Embrace that's, robotics. That's, a, that's tough, man. Yeah, exactly. That's really tough. I will tell you, it's yeah. it's hard. It's a huge problem. It's a huge undertaking. And so then inside of there, it's just like there's the whole on-demand manufacturing revolution, right? Right. Just like which we're a part of and we're like huge believers in. And it's not all of the time beautiful and perfect or whatever, and it can be really messy. But the, the belief in any of those types of technologies or any of those types of like marketplaces or whatever, or any kind of resituating, it's like, how do you increase time somewhere? When you do it right, when you do it perfect, the goal is that one side of the equation has 1% more time to do something. Now, it's not all the time perfect. No, so it's not. when you think about this whole schema, it comes back to what you were talking about earlier with time. How do we gain time through technology is the ultimate goal, is the ultimate question. So is it the planning software? Right. Is, is it through metrics? You know, metrics dashboard, watching how things like where oh, OEE is. Yes. Like keeping up, you know, preventive maintenance, all this stuff. The answer is yes, 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 yes. Right. I was just going to say it's all of those things. It's, it is ERP. It is process software. It is CAD CAM technology. It is customer service technology, automated emails mm-hmm. back to them, telling them where they're going to be. It's, mm-hmm. we have a live delivery doc that our clients can go on and check the status of their order. It's all of those things and all of those things together. When they're working really well and everyone in the company is trained on it, knows how to talk about it, that's when things really start to go. But let's go back to the the one to five person shop in central Indiana and a garage. No, middle of Nebraska. Middle of Nebraska. Yeah. There's a step back, I think, where here's one thing that I have a problem with. We as machine shops, job shops, manufacturers, we all need to be friends. Our success is driven by us and us alone. And we've forgotten that that shop needs our help. And that shop needs our help by us helping and apprenticing them on good business acumen. And I think this podcast is a great example of that. I mean, that's the reason why we started making chips is so that we can elevate the manufacturing industry. And we were going to be able to learn from each other. Right. I mean, that's because there's a guy out there, that guy in Nebraska, that might know something that, that we don't know. And you know what kind of feedback I got when I told people that I was going to be on a worldwide radio show that was on-demand, industry-specific? What do you mean you're going to go giving away all of our secrets? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I heard. And I'm like, well... They can easily Google it on YouTube and, and get the same response, right? right. Somebody's going to be the change agent here. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And it might as well be us. One thing, this is like almost a right-hand turn here. But I think the way that we've always done things, it's just much of attitude as it is anything. Mm-hmm. Attitude is everything. And yep. I think attitude is probably going to be the, the greatest software advancement in the next 21st century. Or not the next 21st century because we have 4,200, whatever that is. That's complicated. But in Kentucky, we have that already. But my point is, is that we don't accept the fact that we need to take time to educate ourselves. It's like failure. If you think about the, the bad boy machinist street cred, like I'm too busy, my spindle's turning, I've got to clean up around my machine, I got to prep it for the well, next you just, thing. Were you going to say I got to clean the, the coolant tank? Yeah. <laughs> like all the things, like their only badge of honor is how much work they do. Right. It's not the fact that they are engineers working in actual application with the same level of yeah. mathematical thinking as any software engineer. So think about like, and I see the great things that you do, like for, for your people, just raising them up for just their accomplishments. Like, just think if you just go back, like I use Kentucky as an example, like we don't have a great high school graduation rate. The state had enough foresight to say, we need to start like really celebrating the machinist, the maker of things, just like a pat on the back. Exactly. 
It's, it's really important. Well, one of the things that I've been preaching to my team for a number of years, and you and I have even talked about this, and Jura, I think, is, is on the same page, is that salesperson who's just there coming around and knocking on your door, it's got to go. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a thing of the past. Nobody has time for that anymore. And I still there, get them. You do still get them. And there's a lot of sales and marketing people out there that that's the way that they've always done it. And that's all they know how to do. And the mentality needs to change and that you almost need to be an advocate for the businesses that you're dealing with and really drive changes there and, and be a part of their team. You just, you can't be there knocking at the door with your hand out. It just, it, things don't work that same way anymore. And I know you've looked at sales and marketing from different angles too, Jim, and been successful because you're doing things differently. Right. I like to be different. So I don't want to look or be or act like anybody else. I want to do my own thing and I want to do what I feel is right in a sales and marketing position. So I want to position myself to be different right? because I feel that that uniqueness is attractive to people. So Zometry being like an on-demand manufacturing network, you guys essentially act as a sales agent for some of the manufacturing partners that you deal with. Do you think that that's changing the the sales and marketing landscape? Do you have guys that are opening up shops and they don't even have to look for new jobs? They're just, they go onto the Zometry network and there it is. Yeah. At the heart of everything that we do, our hope is to spur an entrepreneurial revolution in manufacturing on both sides of the equation. Right. So like the, the shop in Nebraska, who brilliant machinist, doesn't like to talk to people. That's not a winning equation. It's not a winning equation. Unless you have a partner. That's right. Offer an outlet. An integrator and a visionary. Or a platform where you can do that from. Right. And then on the flip side, you have a, a beautiful, wonderful, creative engineer that's bringing a product all the way to, from prototype to production, but really can't deal with the machinist. Mm. So if you see the world's a rapidly growing amount of both sides of that, providing pressure. And so the, the best case scenario, right, of what we offer is just to allow that to happen seamlessly. It's wrought with problems to reroute the way that the world makes things. But the heart of it is just so that that machinist can be brilliant at being a machinist. The leader can be a leader. The sales guy can do like perfect knockout sales on the other side of the question, providing fantastic customer service because that's what's important so that we can make more amazing things so that the world can do all the things it was supposed to. So that like the guy making the duck decoy doesn't feel as much pressure as the guy making a missile head. The reason I bring that up, the world puts the equal amount of pressure on all things to be made as time critical, as just as important. And bringing this all around just in terms of making a marketplace to set these things up, what we allow is the ability for all those to thrive independently and allow the right and equal amounts of pressure on both sides to succeed. Meaning so that like your shop floor, anybody's shop floor can make a duck decoy, missile guidance system, if you're ITAR or whatever it is. But my point is, is that you don't have to be limited in scope because now the scope is brought to you. I think we can summarize. And, and I think the summary is, is that, and it's, I sound like such a grandpa, but you have to embrace technology. Oh, yeah. And the only way we get past the whole, we've always done it this way, is to realize at one point, people thought Henry Ford was crazy. We've been operating in his world for the past 60, 70, 100 years, whatever, how long it's been now. So my point is, is like, we as manufacturers, machinists, job shop, journeymen, whatever it is, we have to find the 1% to allow for education. We have to pat people on the back and recognize intellectual efforts as much as work efforts. 
And we have to, as leaders, be very conscientious and thorough in pulling out all the garbage so that we can disseminate, here are the opportunities for you to grow and learn as a 21st century manufacturing employee. You can be a full stack salesperson utilizing Salesforce, HubSpot, whatever, in manufacturing. You sure can. You can be a roboticist in manufacturing, right? You can be a customer service interface working with a company like ours, Zometry, like from a shop floor. You can be a brilliant machinist that's cutting 400 times more stuff because you went to the latest name tool company here seminar. But the point is, it's just like the only way we get over the hill is that we just have to allow questions and answers to have a fair and proper place in the workforce. And the greatest philosophical change that this industry will face is when we allow that in and not just on the merits of just doing, but allowing our people to ask why they're doing what they're doing before they even step foot into doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. And I like your I like your sentiment that you need to start with spending 1% of your time on training. It kind of makes me think about the fact that when a manufacturing leader thinks about what we've talked about here and the rate of change and trying to break that we've always done it this way, I think you can get exhausted because you look at your business and you're like, there's so many things that I need to change and it could be exhausting and, and you just don't know where to start. And, and I think that you don't have to start with everything. Just like you go from 0% to 1%, just choose one thing and make a change and improve the business and, and make that continuous improvement about, make it a part of the culture of your company and make breaking that glass of we've always done it that way systematic and one thing at a time like don't get exhausted at it because you just chip away at it one thing at a time and increase that one percent to two percent to five percent and all of a sudden you're thriving as as a business because you're training your people on a regular basis and i think that i need to take my own advice on that pretty soon too we all do we all (laughs) do yeah it's a constant thing that you always have to keep reevaluating and we all fall suspect to it every now and then of not doing it. So anyway, Drew, thank you so much for coming into the studio today. It was great to sit down and talk with you and, and hear your perspective on manufacturing. It's a great story and good to see you again. Likewise. And thank you. all Yeah. Yeah. So Jim, for this conversation, what, this what, do, what do you, yeah, what do you think you need to do? I, I, I mentioned that, you know, yeah, I mean, so I told you before that, you know what, this show always equips and inspires I know, me. I know, me too. I know here I'm in this seat with the mic in my too. hand to equip, inspire the metalworking yeah, nation, yeah. but you have no idea how much it equips and inspires me as a person and a business and all, yeah. all of those things. But so I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you yeah. what I'm going to do. So I told you before that as a part of training, I started this book club at Zenger's I got to be honest, with how busy that I've been in the last couple of years, I, I lost track of it. And I'm not spending that time doing the training because we're doing so much doing because everybody's so busy. I need to get back and I need to do that 1% and I need to step it up. And this was very inspirational from Jura, from my perspective, just say, you know what, get off my butt, grab my people, take them away from what they're doing on a day-to-day basis and let's have a discussion. And a lot of times when I was having these book club discussions, it wasn't even necessarily about work. It was just how do we improve our communication skills? And I don't care if you're improving it with your wife or if you're improving it with your coworkers, let's make improvements and let's start it out here on the job and let's move from 0% to 1%. So that's what I'm going to do, Jim. Yeah. And so I think that when we give employee performance reviews, we need to, because you're always documenting in, in that review, I think you need to set some training goals at that time and put some metrics behind it. Agree when you're sitting with that employee 
in his three month, six month, one year, whatever, whatever performance review you're at, what training looks like to them and to us and what they want to tackle themselves. Because I don't want to force training down someone's throat if they're really not wanting to, to do anything. Or training. force training it, how you want it done. Right. Maybe exactly. they, they want to do it, it a different way. To, you know, it's it's a collaborative thing. You know what I mean? And that's really what I try to do with my employees is we're always talking. We're always at the table together. I want everyone's opinion. I believe in diversity of thought. And I believe that when you, when you do that, you get the best results. So yeah. Do I need to train more? Probably. Am I doing a good job at doing it? I'm thinking I'm probably doing okay, but I think I need to document it and set metrics and goals for it. So that's that's, that's what I think. I like that. Because at the end of the day, if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. As always, thank you for listening to the Making Chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feet of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The metalworking nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. Gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time. Jim, I know you got that job on Zometry.com. Where'd you get the material from? Well, funny you should ask. I did get that job part of their vendor partner network. And Zometry just started to sell material on their supplies network. It's awesome. I get the job from them. I don't even have to think about the size or the alloy of the material. They tell me exactly what size I'm going to need, have the price, and bam, it's done. It's in my inbox, and I'm out. So go to Zometry.com and check out their supplies network to buy 6061 aluminum.